got kind of really kind of deep and 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 somewhat scary stories when you think about it from some of the guests we've had. But today's a light note, a light note from a woman that's been married three times. Oh my goodness. Okay, had twins, been a full-time mum, tried to build a career, but also has gone and done something which I admire. And what I admire is that I know so many people that are in the coaching business that are broke, that talk a good game, but actually are broke. However, today's guest, this year alone has made three million pounds from coaching. And to be honest with you, when she first started doing it, she didn't even know what she was doing. So without further ado, let's get into it and enjoy. And make sure you've got a pen and a paper for this one and take notes because we've got the awesome Lisa Johnson. Okay, Lisa. It's not often that I meet um, somebody a day before and invite them to come on a podcast. That's very unusual, but I suppose that the timing was important because you're here and it's nice to do podcasts face-to-face than, than do them on Zoom. I've never done a podcast face-to-face. Have you not? No, I've only ever done them on Zoom. Really? Yeah. I've, I've been doing podcasts on Zoom this year, as my audience will know, and... Uh, yeah, I much prefer the face-to-face Take experience. Up yeah. Anyway, um, a lot of people won't know um, much about you. I've obviously explained it in the intro, but I'd like you to tell me in your own words, who are you, what you do, why you do it, and um, also, why are you in Dubai? That's the easiest question. So I am a mum of twins. I am a wife. I am a multimillionaire and I help other people, mainly entrepreneurs but not always, make passive and semi-passive income from things like courses, memberships, workshops, that kind of stuff. Forgive me for being bored by hearing that, <laughs> but isn't that what all kind of coaches say and kind they of like say. you hear? So what's different about you? What's different about me is that I... And the reason I say that is that in my world, I'm exposed to a lot of these... Um, what are they called? Fake gurus or whatever it is. What's and a fake guru? Just someone who professes to be awesome at something, but they're not. Um, now, I, I know you've had success, so I'm, I'm, the reason I'm asking the question is obviously because I want you to, I want you to answer that yeah. vociferously. Um, but yeah, what, what makes you different to all those other, those other woo-woos? Yeah. Yeah, well, A, that, I'm not woo-woo in any way. I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. And so when people say, unless you believe in the law of attraction, unless you believe in manifesting, you won't get anywhere, I'm kind of good proof that that's a lie. Um, But secondly, the reason that I'm different is because I not only have done it, but my track record shows that I've helped thousands, not a few, thousands of people some who didn't have a business before to make passive income just from what they know like that could be potty training that could be what yeah yeah this isn't just business some of my members let me take i'll give you an example because it's easier so a girl lauren she's amazing she's got loads of little different businesses that she's been doing she's really young under 28 when i met her and she came to me and wanted a membership but she didn't know what in so I said, well, why don't you have a membership in something that you love? She loves the theatre, this girl. She loves it. And so she said, okay, I'll start a theatre membership, £10 a month, that's all, for other people 
that like the theatre because we're like when we were kids. We want to be around people that like the same things. We used to do those little cards, like you're in my membership when we were seven. Nothing has changed. Everyone still wants that. So she started up this membership. Within the space of eight months, maybe nine, she'd made 600,000 from just that one membership because of what I had taught her to do. But what does the membership offer? It offers a place to be around people that like the same thing as you. Now, what it actually offers is she'll get people in from the West End and she'll interview them. They'll all chat to each other. It's the community. People want a membership for the community. For other people to be able to go, oh, what seat did you go in when you went to the Lion King? Or how do you get better tickets to this? And then she realized that while doing that, what she could also do is get a load of tickets and start charging people for those tickets because she could buy them in bulk because she had thousands of people in this membership. And then she was making money on that. And then when this, when COVID happened, 2020 was a nightmare year because all of the, you know, all of the shows shut really in London. And so all of the things that she was doing, people were leaving this membership. And so she's really plucky. We were like, what else can you do right now? So she started doing other things, subscription boxes, sending them different things to do with the theatre and turning it in that way. As long as you have a core audience of people that like the same thing, whatever that is, parenting, whatever, you can sell a membership. So let's say I've got a passion for gardening. Mm. I'm a horticulturalist. Right. And I, <laughs> and I love, I love having my I don't even know what flowers are. I Come don't on, even know. Name one. Uh, my chrysanthemums, my my bougainvillea, my oh, I've got to get well got to be out there. My my <laughs> my roses, my my um, my palm trees. Um, if I'm I'm really into that. There's okay. obviously a, a community of people out there in the mm. world that love gardening. Yes. Okay. So let's say I'm that gardener. So there's a few things you could do. Okay. So let's say you knew actually quite a lot about gardening. Let's say you had a qualification. I know everything about gardening. I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Gardener. Okay. I'm Percy Thrower. I'm Alan Titchmarsh. And I'm Dan Titchmarsh. And I'm whatever the red-headed lady is in as well. I don't I'm know. I'm not into gardening, <laughs> but I don't need to be to tell you what to do. So here's what we do. The first thing we do is, can you teach people to do a version of what you do who can't afford you? So let's say you're a great gardener. People want to hire you, but you're really expensive because you're like the best gardener. They can't afford you. So can you teach them how to DIY their garden like you would do it? That's the first way to make money from it, from an audience like that. The second way is, can you teach people to be you? To actually teach other people gardening or to be a gardener that's getting lots of work from other people? Second way. Third way, though, if none of those things work, is can you just get people into a group where you can all chat about gardening and maybe you can bring some people in and interview them about gardening and maybe you should get some affiliate links for some gardening products seeds. and sell that seeds spades spades hoes <laughs> fertilizer any of those things okay and and sell those as well so eventually the, the thing with memberships is as we know it's like high volume Small amount. Before we go any further, memberships means membership groups where people pay an amount of money every month to be part of that membership group. Yeah, Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, you call them memberships. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so for people that are listening, some some people will be part of membership groups already anyway, yeah, won't they? I would think so. Um, and so it's a case of finding something that you know something about. So let's take let's take me. I love Formula One. Yeah. All right. I love Formula One. I've got friends that work in the teams in Formula One and I've got a great affinity to that. 
So if it was Formula One, I wouldn't tell you to do a membership. I would tell you to do, I would say, what do people normally ask you about Formula One? So people might go, oh, what's the best place to go? I don't know, I've heard Monte yeah, Carlo's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So I would actually just get you to write a very quick take a day ebook, put that together and sell that to every. So for instance- Who would I sell it to? To groups that already are together talking about Formula One. So, so, so where would I find those groups? Usually on Facebook. So Facebook groups about Formula One, join the group and then start offering the free book about where they yeah. can go and the deals they can get type yeah. of thing. The yeah? person that's done that really well, lots of people have done this now, but the first passive income that I bought was I was taking the twins to Disneyland and oh, it's like a military operation going to Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So I bought one of these eBooks, 27 pounds, tells you what rides to go on with kids under two and all of this kind of stuff, where to stay and how to do the dining plan. It's like a massive thing. Um, I then contacted her and said, I want to buy that book. And I said, just out of interest, how many of these books do you sell? She was making 30 grand a month from selling this tiny ebook because so many Disney groups out there wanted to buy it. 30,000 pounds. Which is mad. But when they start promoting that, that ebook into a already established group, then what happens? Does the person who administers the group go, whoa, hold on a minute? That's how you do it. Some of them let you, but you have to look at the rules. But a way to get around that is to say to the admin person that is owning the group, hey, you've got a group here, you've been chatting for a while to all these people. What about if we monetize it and I'll sell in this group and I will give you 5% of everything I sell? So then that person is making passive income as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So you've got, you, you establish these groups and by building some trust in that community and relationship in that community first, so working for what, a month, two months, 10 months, what would you do? The best way is to make your own community of those people. But at first, you're not going to have that. Depends what you mean. If you're talking about one or two months in somebody else's community, that's enough time for you to build your own. Mm. I, I built mine in about four months and made six figures on the back of that after four or five months. And how do you build a group? You just create the group. Okay, I've set up the Facebook group. It's called... What's it called? Podcasting Pantomimes. <laughs> Podca no one's going to join I, that. I let it come from. The, the podcast, I don't know, just because we're on that theme... Spencer's podcast group. There you go. Yeah. So I have a client who has a podcast group. Okay. So I've named my group. How do I get yeah. people in my group? So how you get people in there is you put some bait out there. So people that want your help with something, whether it's podcasting or anything else, you know, what, what do they ask you all the time? Let's say they ask you, what's the five things you need to know about podcasting before yeah. you start? Stick that out there on what we call a lead magnet. Uh -huh. Put some bait out there. Real so mix. run ads. You don't have to run ads. You can put them in these days in everybody's groups because and do it that way so what you, you you post the lead magnet into people's groups and leave breadcrumbs like on your facebook page for instance your personal facebook page just leave it there so that when you're helping people with podcasting first thing they're going to do is go oh who's this guy talking about podcasting all the time let's look at him oh he has a group let's go into his group that's the slower way of doing it, which is the way I did it because I didn't have money to put into Facebook ads when I started. And a lot of people don't, but they're also intimidated no. by Facebook ads too. They don't know how to run Facebook Unsurprisingly, ads. Unsurprisingly, I lost £27,000 in the first year of my business on Facebook ads because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't do the due diligence on the person that I hired to do my Facebook ads. So from that day onwards, I was terrified of Facebook ads until I got to seven figures. And only then was I like, okay, better start playing with them again. And now I'm all right with them. Okay. Let's let's dig a little bit deeper here. Right. You're a mum. You've got twins. And when we were having a drink last night, you told me that 
kind of like this whole money thing has only been a recent deal for you. Mm. Not that you were broken living on Benefit Street or anything before. No, that is what I was. Okay. <laughs> so so let, 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 let's let's get a bit of your backstory here because then we can, I think we can go back into what we're talking about now. Okay. So you, you got into this game how long ago? Three and a half years ago. Okay. And so you're 21 now, so you got into it when you were 18. Yeah, I was a child. <laughs> I was a child when I got into it. Full of compliments on the Spencer Lodge podcast tonight. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, childhood, what was that like? Not great. So, okay. why? Ch- childhood was great until I was 11. And then when I hit 11, I, because I didn't, you don't know when you're a kid that you're poor. You just don't know. No, you you don't go know. to your mate's house, no one really cares. It's like, I don't care what their house looks like, and they didn't care what mine looked like. And then when I was 11, I got a scholarship to a private school, the most prestigious private school where I lived, um, which I didn't really care about either. But I was like, okay, I'll go. In the same year, my parents had split up and my father and me and my sister had become Mormons. So it was a bit of a chaotic year. Oh, wow. And so I then started this school. And on the first day, I absolutely knew I was poor. People told me I was. I developed a nickname um, because my clothes were secondhand and because I was the only one with the ticket in the lunchroom that had to, you know, get it for free because I lived in a, in a council estate. And they all got picked up in their Bentleys and their Porsches. And I got picked up on the back of my single dad because my dad brought us up on his own from this point on the back of his motorbike. And that's when the bullying started. So from that day on, it was just horrendous for me being in that school. And I was quite a timid kid anyway. You know, church going at this point, gone from Catholic to Mormon. So didn't really, even as I grew up, understand all the things that the cool girls were talking about. I was very introverted. And then I finally persuaded my dad when I was 14, like, I'm not going anymore. So if you make me go, I just won't get any schooling. And so he said, okay, you can move schools and you can go to the local grammar school. And I was like, okay, this will be better. It's a mixed school. It's not all girls. It's got to be better. And on the very first day, I walked into the playground to see a kid being bullied. She was a girl and she had about 10 people around her, boys and girls, who looked so much older than her. She was crying and people were like jostling her. And because I'd been bullied couldn't just walk past and by not walking past I put a target on my back for the next two years we're still best friends what did you do I went in and said oi leave her alone she's there's one of her and there's loads of you this isn't how it should be like what's the problem let's try and sort it out you spoke so nicely when you were a kid I did. No, I never would swear or anything. I was like proper church I'm going. I'm terribly sorry, ladies and gentlemen. This show well, is over. Well, that didn't help. That didn't help because I had gone to a school where I'd had elocution lessons. I'd, you know, it was a it was a private boarding school, and suddenly I went into this grammar. You can imagine, yeah. like I was like now the the annoying new kid from the posh school, and but this time it was worse because it was boys and girls, and I had no. I just had no experience of boys at all. I hadn't probably spoken to one in the last four or five years. And so, um, yeah, the bullying was worse this time. And by the time I was about, I think I was just turned 16, I got off the school bus and this girl who was in the year above me called Charlie, she was mean, I wish I knew where she was now. Uh, She said, I'm going to get you on the way back. And she was like one of the most popular kids at school. (laughs) was this little runt. (laughs) And so I was like, oh God. And this friend that I'd made, 
she wasn't at school that day, she was sick. So I was like, how the hell am I going to get to the school bus without anyone getting me? And I didn't know what getting meant at that point, but it did not sound good. And I made a run for it. That was the only way I knew how. I had spoken to the teachers at this point, but the teachers in the school were very, um, yeah, bullying happens all the time. It's normal. Like there's always some people that are going to get bullied at school. You just make you stronger. It'll make you resilient and all this kind of stuff. So no one was listening at all. And my dad was working two jobs, like working overnight. I remember him ringing us in the morning at six o'clock in the morning to tell me and my sister that ring meant it's time for you to get up and get dressed and go to school. He was away all night and all day and we were on our own most of the time. And so I couldn't tell him. And so I was just like, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to run home. And she got me and she held a knife to my throat. That bit I could deal with because I was used to bullies. I couldn't deal with the 15 to 20 of my schoolmates who all gathered around egging her on to do it and telling her to, to get me, to kill me. I don't know how I got out of that situation even to this day, but it left some trauma. Um, and I then became terrified and I never went back to school. So I got some very poor GCSEs after being the brightest kid in the school to be able to get the scholarship because I didn't go back anymore. I got like a few a handful of GCSEs and decided I wasn't doing it anymore. And so at the age of just turned 17, I got married to the first person that came along. You got married at 17. And he was a lot older than me. How old? How much older was he? Like in his days. Shut up. Because I think I was just like so unloved by this point. I would just, if anyone paid me any attention. And you I'd were a Mormon? Like, yeah. So Are then you I, still a Mormon? No. Oh, right. Because so of that. Okay, you're a Mormon, um, and did you meet the guy through the church? No, and that's the meet problem. Him? I went to a pub with a friend first time I'd been to a pub, met him there. Okay. And the rest was history. Now that turned out to be, and I think I was just attracting bullies by this stage because it was just so oh, mean. You can't keep going past this. I want to, I want to <laughs> dig into this. So, how did you meet this 30 year old bloke? He just came up to me in the pub and started talking. Okay, to me. and was he a Mormon? No. So he's okay. So he wasn't a Mormon, started talking to you, and. You took a liking to him, and why did you get married so young? Because he asked me three months later. And did you have a big wedding? No, but there's a bit that will explain this that I've probably missed out that I should have told you. My dad, who was a Mormon, three months earlier had got married to somebody who already had nine kids. So I was now in a council house, three-bedroomed with 12 of us. So when I think about it now, I just wanted out. That's why, I think. So you had an instant new family of nine siblings. Yeah. And a stepmom. What happened to your mum? She had gone off with another guy. I still saw her, but not like, um, not all the time at that point. We have a great relationship now, but I think then it was more strained because she went off. She was in the RAF. Well, her, her new husband was in the RAF, so they were travelling all the time. Okay, so you... You meet this guy, you date for three months, you get married. What kind of wedding do you have? Honestly, it was just like a quick in a hotel. We had no money. He was a chicken farmer. I then became a chicken farmer <laughs> for like three years, which is weird now when I think about it. So, so I have photographic proof. From the age of 17 to the age of 20, you were a chicken farmer. Yeah. Collecting eggs. Like, I can collect eggs with speed. <laughs> <laughs> What a strange thing to know. If you ever need eggs picking up... I know I'll, what to do. 
Okay. And then, <laughs> so then how did it end? There was domestic violence involved, which okay. is not surprising. I think at this point I was attracting every bully that I could get my hands on. Um, and so my sister got me out of it, realised what was going on and got me out of it when I was 21. Okay, and then you went through a divorce. Went through a divorce, which actually and what, what, were you, what, what did you do after you were a chicken farmer? Well, by this point, remember, I'd had no jobs ever. Yeah. I, I was 21 and had no jobs. So, so I got a job as an office junior in a factory. And this is where the story sort of changed for me. I got a job in a factory with a load of 20-something-year-old girls who I was terrified of by this point. So I, if you think of me going into this place, I must have seemed like the most aloof, up my own, you know, person going in. And very quickly, I became another target of these girls who were like, who does she think she is? But actually, I was just scared. I just didn't want to talk to them because I was scared stiff. So I just got on and did my work. Um, About six months later... I was living in this little bedsit on my own and managed to get rent a little bedsit. And that was quite good for me. But then six months later, the guy who owned the factory took me into his office and said, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to let you go because we can see what's going on and I can't sack 20 girls. I can only sack you for your safety. Now, I have a law degree now, but I didn't then. I could have made quite a lot of money if I had. But that night, I went home and didn't want to live. Because it was like one thing after another. Like, since the age of 11, I was just like, is this what life is actually like? It's just bully after bully after bully. Like, when am I going to get a break? And all the words that they had called me all the way through were in my head. And I just thought, I'd rather not be here than this. And so I'm on my own, got a load of pills, got a bottle of wine, and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Where was home? Oh, this tiny little bedsit, one bedroom studio bedsit that I was renting at the time on my own. In Lincolnshire? Yeah. And then this tiny thought entered my head, which was, what if they're all wrong though? What if you do this? Because then that's the end. And this upbringing I'd had that where I was a Mormon helped because it, I did not believe in the afterlife in any way. Because I've been a Catholic, a Mormon, so I was very religious. I was reading all the religious books, and it made me realise that I didn't believe in anything. And so I was scared of death, and it made me stop for a second and go, what if they're wrong? What if you can make something? And so I gave myself a test. I said, okay, if you can do one thing that you think is hard and do it, you can stay alive, but you'll have to really work hard. If you can't, you're allowed to let yourself go. And it was like, okay, if I can do that one thing, what would be a good test here? And I'd never finished school. And so I was like, I'll get a degree. What's the hardest degree? I'll get a law degree. That seems like a hard one. If I can get a law degree while working full time as an office junior stroke PA, I got another job straight away, um, then you can make something of yourself. And for four years, they sent me all the books in September, sat in that bedsit every night after work and spent three hours studying every single night for four years. Didn't go down the pub. I didn't have any friends. I just did that. I was one mark away from a first and it changed everything for me because then I was like, if I can do that, what else can I do? And so then everything changed and I just 
my confidence grew and I just climbed this ladder. I just went, well, I don't want to be a PA. What do I want to be? I didn't want to be a lawyer. I knew that, even though I had a law degree. So I then climbed all these different positions in investment banking until I got to risk analyst. Where were you working? In London? Yeah, in Canary Wharf in so London. So you went down to London? On my own, set up there. So what year was that? Oh, a long time ago. <laughs> Put it this way, I was there when the crash of 2008 happened. Oh, that was a long time ago. Okay. And that's when I left. Okay, and who were you working for in Canary Wharf? City. City okay. Group. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I loved this job. Live? I was living in lots of different places in London. I moved like 15 well, times. Did you live down in, that, uh, in East London? Did you live in... I was in all sorts. Pinner in West London. Pinner? I was like in the posh bit. So I was in Brixton for a bit. I was in Clapham, Richmond, moving all over the place. Even though you worked in Canary Wharf on the other side of the city. Okay, so you went to these investment banks. You, you worked in investment banking for how long? Whew, probably a good 10 years 15 maybe okay and so you must have earned decent money being an investment bank you must have been able to stand on your own two feet and yeah. all that and then then what happened i accidentally got pregnant and it was twins <laughs> oh, so when was that that was eight years nine years ago and that was your second marriage it Oh, you got married after you got pregnant? At the same sort of time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, you got pregnant. Is that we better get married? Well, yeah. So, you had a shotgun wedding. It was the other way around, but only just. I think I was married for three days when I became pregnant. Yes, of course. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been with him for about a year, and it was a decent oh, enough nice long, long marriage. time, because the previous husband exactly. was three I was months. doing better. So that's four times, four times as much time in, yeah. the, in the relationship before <laughs> marriage. Okay, I can see. So you got pregnant. Your, um, what did your husband do for a living at the time? He's a teacher, but during the pregnancy, we realised we shouldn't be together and started divorce proceedings. While you were pregnant with twins? Pretty much just towards the end, yeah. we were, And... and I think a lot of it stemmed from resentment from me, if I'm honest, because he we were both party animals by this point. You know, I had a great job. How did you be party animal? You were pregnant with twins. Not then, just before, before it. So when we met, we were like, we loved our life. We were having a lot of fun. But then when you you get pregnant, suddenly you've got twins there who need you every second of the day. One of you can't have the life that you had before and one can continue exactly how they were before and there was some resentment there on hold on a minute why is this my job so you were stuck at home i wasn't i was still working i went back to work when they were five months old but by this point we were divorcing i knew i was going to be on my own very soon and went back to work and was like how the hell am i going to do this i'm out of the house at six o'clock in the morning before they wake up i get home at 10 o'clock at night because of what my job was they're asleep. I'm never going to see them. So you had a nanny? I had like, yeah, different childminders, au pairs, nannies and this kind oh, of thing. But I was never going to see them. And suddenly I was on my own again with twins. And I was like, something has to change. And so I had to like rewrite my story all over again. But I was used to it this time because I've been doing it my whole blooming life. So now it was like, okay, what needs to happen here? I'm not going to make the money that I wanted to make. I'm not going to end up on the top of that ladder where I wanted to go. So I went straight back down to where I was before as a PA, right near my house, just so that I could work so you nine to five. you investment banking to go back to be a PA. And where, where was you living? Then Twickenham, London. So you went and you found a job local to home so you could work normal hours and be at home for the children. Kids. Yeah. 
And did you enjoy that? No, I was bored stiff because of the amount of responsibility I'd had. And so I was like, and also because, I mean, having twins, being on my own and going from a job that paid me nearly 100 grand to a job that paid me 20 grand meant that I was 30 grand in debt very, very quickly. And so I was like, what am I going to do? Like, what's the next step for me here? I can't do much with the kids there. And so I thought, well, I could start a business. Isn't that what people do? They start a business so they can spend more time with their kids. I'd seen this online. I'd I'd seen people do it. But I didn't know anyone, actually me as a person, that had seen anyone because of my background. I hadn't really known anyone that had a business before. But I thought, well, I'm going to try and have a business. And so I thought, what what am I going to do? What kind of business do I want? Well, I like organising things. I liked parties at this stage. I like cake. I'll be a wedding planner. Of course. Why not? Why not? It looked glamorous from the outside. Sexy as hell. Organising people's weddings. I've watched those films where you just wander around looking like J-Lo with an earpiece. I'm doing that. that. Um, It didn't quite work out that well. Um, after the first year, I sat down and like I had a new boyfriend by this stage, and he was like, "Let's have a look at how much you're earning." Sat down. Can I leave my nine to five? No, I'm earning one pound fifteen an hour. So I was doing really well with the weddings. I was getting them all in, but that's because I was undercutting everyone and doing it for cheap as chips and not earning anything for it. And I was absolutely knackered. Um, so then I got to this point where I was like, "Well, I either have to give that up and just realise this is life. I'm going to be a PA forever. I'm going to have kids. I'm always going to be living hand to mouth." I was used to that. I've grown up like that, so I knew I could do it. Yeah. I didn't really want to. Um, or I need to get some help and work out just the basics of business because I knew absolutely nothing. And if you're thirty grand in debt, you may as well be thirty-five grand in debt. It doesn't really make much difference. And so I got a credit card for five grand, and. Um, Paid for a course? I paid for a person, a coach at the time, to come and teach me. How did you choose the coach? It was quite easy for me. I wanted the only coach I could find that wasn't spouting about manifestation and the law of attraction. There weren't that many. Okay, let's just uh, just have that for a minute, okay? What you did is you found somebody that you could, online... Yeah. That wasn't a, basically a woo-woo coach. I just wanted strategy. I just wanted... I didn't even want a coach. Now I think back, I think the word coach is mis... What did you want? You wanted... I wanted a consultant. I wanted someone to go do this, 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 and this, and you'll get this. And you'll get out of the hole you're in. That's all I wanted. And that's pretty much what I got. She taught me, like... She taught me, like, how to have a marketing plan. You know, like, a strategy. How to actually advertise on social media. All of the things. How to show up. How to be a personal brand. I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, I had pretty poor money mindset, I've got to tell you. I thought people from where I come from can't make money. Um, so I had to do a lot of work around realising that I thought that. And was, it, was, it, was, was it a five grand investment worth spending the money on? Yeah. So you, you, you're glad you spent that money on yeah. that? Okay. Not so, all of my investments have been that lucky. No, but that one was a good one. Okay, so you went and did your five, your five grand on this course and you learned some stuff and then what'd you do? I niched massively in the wedding business and decided I didn't want to do all weddings. I only wanted to do call people from Shoreditch that wanted an anti-wedding in a warehouse. So people that wanted a a dysfunctional wedding, yeah? Something unusual and different. So not the the white gowns and and seven-tier cakes. No. No. And so because I knew I was niching that way, I had to change everything, like the branding, everything, even where I met them to talk to them well, did you rename the company goth weddings or something no i kept it the same 
<laughs> the name they're saying because it was my name, so it's all good. I didn't want goth. I wanted grunge like, weddings. I didn't want grunge. What you misunderstand. You? You're like going 1980 on me. What, what, what's anti-wedding in a warehouse? Like in a warehouse where people sit on hay bales. No. What do you mean then? No, that's like boho. Like what's... a really good party. Think of like the industrial look when that came yeah. in. Just a really good po- people that worked at Google. Facebook, advertising people, they don't want that stuff. They wanted like hipster, hipster is the word you'll know, hipster type weddings. Do you know what hipster is? I'm kind of getting a picture. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the audience are listening to this right now. Going, how old is Half they? of them are sitting there going, oh, of course, Spence, you idiot. We know exactly what she's talking about. The other half are going, yeah, I don't know. Really. don't know. What's what does that, that look like? Why would you get married in a warehouse? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do that for? In a factory? <laughs> what though? They all came to me. Okay, All of them. so you niched and you started marketing towards the, that, 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 that. It took four months before the ideal client walked into my door and was like, I've got a hundred grand budget for a wedding. I want you to do it. And I didn't have to, she didn't say, I'm going to go and talk to a load of other people. It was just, I'm going to only talk to you because you're the only one doing this thing. Okay, so how long did you do want. that for? Two to three more years. Did you make money? Yeah, but okay. still didn't quite get up to that 100K mark that I wanted to. So it was just below that because, I mean, it takes 250 hours to plan a wedding. There's only so many weddings you can do. So I was never going to get to that unless I put my prices up. I already put them up like three times. And I was realizing that I'd given myself a job where I was knackered every week. If you'd have asked me what I wanted my life to look like, I would have gone, oh, I want to go traveling. I want to spend all the weekends in the holidays with the kids. And instead, I'd given myself a life where I was working every weekend during the whole of the summer. So it isn't what I wanted to do. And then people started asking me, first from the wedding industry, have you done this? How have you done it in their eyes quite quickly? And I was saying, well, I've read this, this, and this. This worked, this didn't, do this. And they did it and they made money. And I was like, ooh, that's good. Let's tell more people to do different things. And I realized I had a bit of a knack for explaining how to do business things in a really non, I know I'm not allowed to swear. So don't. Non- in a nicer, easy to understand, not bro markety way. <laughs> um, insert your own swear words there. And um, it worked. And then people started paying me to do that. And I thought, this is much easier than wedding planning. And so I went to sell the wedding business. And we interviewed all these people that wanted to buy it because it had a really good name at this point. It had a portfolio as big as your arm. It's great. But Every single person I spoke to was like, the only thing they wanted to know, how much money will I make in the first year? And this was my baby that I'd grown for all this time. It had taken effort. And I wanted somebody to want to plan weddings, to love weddings. And that isn't who these people were. They wanted to buy a business to make money, which makes sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that isn't what I wanted. And I realized that. Mm. So I didn't want to sell it. And that's what made me realize, I don't want to sell this business. I want to give this business away. So we did a competition and I did a competition where I was looking for somebody that financially could never afford a wedding planning business, but wanted to start, but didn't have the luxury of building a business for three to five years until they made money. And we found somebody and we gave them it and they're still running it now. And on the same month, I started Lisa Johnson coaching and this was three and a half years ago and very quickly made a lot of money, but still wasn't quite where I needed to be. After the first year, everyone, if, from the outside, people were like, oh, 
so successful. You seem to be talking on the stages around the world, doing all these magazines. You're making all this money. And I was doing all right. I'd made 220,000 in profit. Where did the TV presenting come into the journey then? That was way before. That was when I was partying with husband number two. That kind of, those years. Were you in investment banking? Yeah, and doing that at the same time. On the side? Okay. And acting. A few films in there as well. A few music videos. Were you a stormtrooper in Star Wars or something? No. I would have liked to have done that. A friend no. of mine, it was a, she really? Was, I've known her for 10 years. She only told me about two months she ago. She didn't I'm even like, know. The bed. You heard that you were a stormtrooper. She's like, yeah, she sent me a picture. I'm like, I can't believe it. She said, it's really hot in those outfits. Yeah, no, I didn't do that. I did just random stuff. Okay, so you started this coaching business. Yeah. And so why did you start a coaching business? What, what was the Organically, real driver? The, the driver was only that people were asking me for it. Okay, At the t- it because wasn't people like, were asking, yeah. you were like... That- well, I may as well make some money out of it. If I'm going to teach these people what I'm doing, I may as well get some money... I don't think I was ever a coach. I, yes, I got a coaching qualification, but if I look at what a coach means now, I never, ever once said to somebody, what do you feel that you should do? I just said, just do this thing. Like I, like I wanted at the beginning, someone to just tell me what to do. So that's what I was doing. I was telling people what to do and it was working and I was getting amazing testimonials, which is all very good. But actually when I sat down, that life that I wanted of travel of fun, of spending time with my kids. All I'd done is give up a nine to five in a wedding planning business to work from six in the morning to 11 o'clock at night on my business. And I still wasn't seeing my kids. And I was still knackered. And I wasn't seeing my new husband, number three, at all, because all I was doing was working. And so I knew something had to change, but at this point, and this was 18 months ago, I didn't really know what. I was looking for something, but I didn't know what. And then I was listening to a podcast, a bit like this one, And someone started talking about passive income and that it was a myth. And there was this big argument going on. And I was like, if there's an argument, I'm in, I'm listening. (laughs) I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I'm listening to this. And I was like, this sounds like it could be a thing. Why isn't it a thing? And so I started then, I spent over 100 grand learning everything I could about passive income streams, different types. Uh Uh-huh drop shipping, affiliate marketing, all the ones that you hear of. And started just adding these passive income streams into my business slowly. And some of the stuff that I learned didn't work and I just put it to one side and went on to the next thing and learned a bit more and was just testing everything. Within that one year from earning, from working probably 80 hour, 70 to 80 hour weeks and making 220,000 a year, the next year, exactly one year later, I was working 30-hour months and making over a million. And more of it was profit. So for me, it was like, this is the way forward. And so I went all in on just doing that until now. My business is 90% passive or semi-passive income, and all I teach is that. And we've just gone into year three at three million in revenue. So a million a year in three years? A million a year for three years? No, no. So? Three million in for one year. 2020. So what did, so in year two, what did you do? We did a million. In year one, you did a million? Year, no, because well, it depends on whether you start it from when I started Lisa Johnson Coaching. So the first year of Lisa Johnson Coaching, I made 220,000. Right. The second year, I made a million. The third year, which is what we've just ended on, um, I made three million. 2020. And why do you, do you think it jumped from 1 million to 3 million? Because I did an affiliate launch. 
So I'd launched this product called One to Many, which was how to make passive income a few times. And it did quite well. You know, I was doing 300,000 each time. Pretty much all of that's profit. I wasn't using ads or affiliates or anything like that. So that was doing okay. And there was just me in the business. And then I realized in April, this in April, I made 300,000 from it in lockdown. And I was a bit worried because it was lockdown, but actually... I'm selling passive, I'm selling the thing that everyone needed right then. So I was lucky in some ways. And then I said, well, if I'm selling it and making 300,000, what if I do an affiliate launch, get a load of people with much bigger audiences than me to sell it and try that. And I tried that and we had a 1.7 million launch. And how did you get your affiliates? Some of them were clients that had made money from me teaching them how to do it in one-to-many before. It's much easier for somebody to be able to sell something they've already done. And some of them were just people in masterminds that I was in or friends of mine that I'd met in the last year or so um, and just did it that way. And we didn't accept everyone. I had a real rule. One of the things I've learned in business is that my biggest value is integrity, not just saying it, it is it. And so I had a rule that anyone that was going to sell for me had to do it how I would do it. So for instance, I don't let people buy courses on a credit card. I don't let people go into debt to buy any of my stuff. And I know that some people would say that. What do you mean you don't let them buy a credit card? They can buy it there, that's a big bank transfer. No, but if they tell me, I'm going into debt. Basically, I very outwardly say, do not buy this product if it's going to put you in debt. I only want you to do it if you can actually yeah, afford it. Your theory is if you're 30 grand in debt, why not was. 35 grand in debt? No, no, no. That's how I was. I would never want anyone to do that because what if that hadn't worked for me? Then I'd be 35 grand in debt. Yeah. And it wouldn't have worked. But I'm sure that you were 20 grand in debt and then you became 30 grand in debt. But that so. was just on like living. All right. Eating. Forgive me for um, throwing these questions at yeah, you. No, you do. Okay, so it. you said to people, come and join my program, but if it means you're going to do it. And how much did you sell this program for? For 1997. Okay, so £2,000 you sold the product for. And what did, what did people get for their money? A lot. And I'm realising now that it could have been more, but that's not the point. That's not what was in it for me. Um, they got 12 weeks of me actually teaching them what to do step by every step day? every week so weekly weekly group coaching sessions for 12 weeks plus a sales funnel done for them because that's the bit that everyone finds hard so i've got a tech team they could just do it plus accountability pods so that there wasn't 850 people in one big group there was lots of different groups Plus, their lead magnet designed and done for them. The only reason we were doing these things is because I've done this course now like five times, six times. And each time I do it, I ask them why they're not getting to the end. Because I was that person that bought every course going and never finished it. Mm. And you can't get the results. <laughs> we've all done it. Okay. You can't get the results if you don't finish it. And so I wanted to force them to. And so when they got stuck on like module two, I'd say, why are you stuck? We don't know how to do the sales funnel. I'll give you a sales funnel. And that worked. So then the next time we did it, they got stuck on module eight. I'm like, why aren't you finishing it? We gave you the sales funnel. Because my motivation has gone now because I've been doing this for like eight weeks and my motivation's gone. Okay, I'll put you in accountability pod so you have to do it. Would you take somebody else's product and do that structure yourself with their product? Yeah. If someone had a product and came to you and said, yeah, oh, I can't be asked. It's too, it hurts my brain too much. Yeah. Would you, would, you, would you do it all and I'll just split it 50-50 with you? <laughs> it depends what the product was. If it was. Okay, let's say it was something you really believed in. Then yeah. You would, yeah? Because mm, I think it can work. I think sometimes people just need some tough love and to push them to get to the end. But maybe some people just 
There will always be those people. No, I don't, no, no, no. There's the people, the, the just enoughers, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That they exist. But there's also people where, that want the outcome, but the actual work doesn't inspire them. I don't think the actual work a lot of the time inspires many of us. Well, I know I disagree. I think there's, when you're working on something you care about. There is I that. Think, I think there is, there is, there is persistence. I remember at that. the beginning when you didn't know you cared about it, the main thing for you at that point was like, I need to make some money from this. I know that I can do the thing, but I'm really rubbish at the rest of it. Right. Me out. Come on. So I have an online course. Yeah. I, I teach people to sell. It's an online course. They get weekly coaching. It goes for as long as they want to be members of it for. It's open-ended. It's not closed-ended. They pay $197 a month. So it's not a course. It's a membership. Well, the, 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 oh, sorry. The course, the online course is essentially 450 training videos built into different modules. It's like the most comprehensive sales Too comprehensive. Course. It's 450 modules. How are you? 430 videos. Some of the videos are one minute long, though. All right. So some, some of the videos are short. Okay. Okay. But it's, it's essentially seven modules with a total of 450. It teaches everything about sales. Okay. And it's 197 a month. And what I learn is that that's not how I learn. You don't learn from what? From so I'll give you an example. If you pick a book up off of here and read it, mm -hmm. okay, I struggle to read a book and maintain the information. No, I However, that. if it's on Audible on my phone yeah. and I go for a walk every morning, which I do after the gym, yeah. I get it goes in. Yeah. All right. So I learn differently. Mm -hmm. And I also know if you want to teach me something by sending me a course that I have to do in my own time, I'm probably not going to enjoy doing it. But... Okay, if you stand up in front of me and tell me, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm not going to remember it. Hence why. Hold on, let me finish. Can't However, me. my learning style is put a whiteboard up there or a flip chart and draw me some pictures. Yeah. And I'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized that I learned a certain way. So I'm like, I, I don't want my, I do not want my customers, my clients to be learning something that they don't retain. Yeah. So that's why I introduced... Okay, every week, same time, 90 minutes coaching. And I would go through everything that they needed to learn, plus dealt with their questions. And so then I felt from my own personal perspective that they were getting somewhere. Yeah. Because it really matters to me that they yeah. get somewhere. It's why we, when we first did this course, had it packaged off so people could just go and buy it. But I didn't know if they were getting somewhere. So we took it from passive to semi-passive so that if I showed up, they're more likely to show up mm -hmm. and did it weekly. But... There are different styles that people learn and they can pay for those different styles. So, you know, I don't learn well in a course environment because I get bored easily. I learn well one-to-one -one where somebody just tells me what to do. But I pay for that. But you're leaving money on the table if you're thinking that some people don't want to learn from you and you can tell that people do want to learn from you. So they're more likely to go into a course, get just enough to be able to then afford to work with you on a different level where they will get everything they need. But we can't pretend that everyone can get everything so, so they this, need from this, one thing. Okay, this is really an interesting thing because um, everybody wants to learn how to get rich quick. Mm, I'm not sure okay. that's true. There's a big portion of the audience out there in the world that want to get rich quick yeah they either want a million quid or a million followers okay all right it seems to be a very popular thing and when you look okay. at the webinars that sell online so i work with najahi or the sponsor here so i hope i don't get in trouble um they have they have a lot of a lot of webinars that they run from people selling all kinds of amazing stuff however the stuff that's the most popular is a way of getting rich quick 
or getting a million followers quick type of thing. Okay. And so that seems to be the thing that everyone kind of like wants to spend, mm-hmm. wants to spend money on. Yeah. I don't believe you can get rich quick. You can't. And I also don't believe that selling is talent. I think it's skill and I think it takes time to learn. Agree. And so I'm very open and honest about the fact that you are not going to learn to be epic at this in 12 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be better than you were, okay? But this is a craft you have to beat on. Yes. And so because of that, when I teach it, when I do that one-to-one stuff, hence the reason why I don't do much one-to-one stuff. Uh, not yeah. one-to-one. Um, much, of course, uh, that, uh, more like group yeah. stuff. It's because I don't want to. I don't want to be in a position where I'm having to tell an untruth to get people to spend Absolutely. money. Absolutely, and this is why what we do is say in every single webinar we do and challenge, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. You won't make money in the first year. They, loads do, loads do. But I want them to come into it thinking that. It's a long-term, sustainable business model when you're doing passive income. Let's be honest, passive income isn't passive. At the beginning, you're going to work so hard to build this asset that you're then selling over and over again. That's when it becomes passive, after the first year or two years that you're doing it. And we make that really clear. But also, you 12 weeks of learning, they get a year of me supporting how do they get a year of you because for the nine months that i'm not teaching them every week Mm -hmm. i'm in the group there's a facebook group i'm in there every day just answering in a facebook group Mm -hmm. so they can't come in and talk to you they can just write well no they get one session every month q a where they can come and talk what a zoom yeah But they also have associate coaches that we put in there who have done the program and made money from it so that it's not just me because I do need it to be semi-passive for me. Otherwise, it's not the business model that I want Mm. and it has to work for me and them. But does everybody make money in the first year? No. Do more than half a year? And that's what matters to me, that people get to the end Mm. so that they have every chance to. I just want people to to. win. Yeah, of course you do. all I want. It's all I do. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Okay, I, I want people to win that don't want to win themselves. Yeah, but they it's can't like I want it win. More than them. They can't win unless we tell them what to do because mm. they don't know at the beginning. And no, I was that matter, person. It doesn't matter what you tell them to do, it's what they action themselves. Will do, yes. Yeah, but can, they can't you... action anything unless you tell them where to start. Mm-hmm. And that was me at the beginning. I did, I, if anyone would have just told me what to do, I would have done it. Like, go do this. I would have done it. But I didn't have the resources to go to somebody and say, just tell me what to do. I had to join programs, but that's what got me here because I didn't have that kind of money. And I know that some of my audience don't know, are there ways to work with me one-to-one? Yeah, but by that point, you're going to have to be making quite a lot of money to afford me. So I want to make sure that there's not only something for that middle ground, you know, people that are doing one-to-one, they're where I was, they're doing okay, but they want to make more. That's what one-to-many is, but that's why I've got a membership. Because at the beginning, when people can't afford anything, £49 a month is affordable. So let's go through the prices that you charge, Mm. okay, from the cheapest to the Mm -hmm. the most expensive. Take me through that. Cheapest is 49 a month. That's membership. Yeah. One to many is 2,000. Mm -hmm. That's like program. Mastermind is 18,000. Okay, so what's a mastermind? You get more of me and less people. But so it's not sm- one-to-one. A smaller group over what period A year. Of time? A year. So how big's the group? Usually around 20. And 20. we go on retreats together and that kind of thing. So we're in a much more intimate 
you know, yeah. they get me for three or four days at a time. Or you go to a woo-woo retreat together and you no. go and do yoga together. No, you, there will never be a picture Burning of me doing everywhere. yo-yo. Manifesting, yoga. manifesting no. goodness. No, no. Although, that's not to say that some of my clients are woo. So I always say I'm woo adjacent. <laughs> I don't mind others being woo. Whatever gets them to take the action, I'm happy with. I'm woo adjacent. I'm just not. I'm woo adjacent. <laughs> Um, okay. So that's mastermind, and then one to one. The only one to one I do is a day. I won't do any more than a day with anybody, because if they want one to one, I want to know that they don't need holding hands, like accountability. They just want the knowledge to go and do it. Um, I don't believe in three month packages. I think that you're just dragging out what you can tell them in a short space of time, and that doesn't sit well with my integrity. So I do one day for like fifteen k. Off they go. Uh -huh. That's it. That's all I do. See, I don't believe that. Why? Because I believe that if if uh, if I coach people one to one over a month, once a week, then I get much more done. Because you, they want accountability from you, but I'm not a coach. Okay, but I want I want I want to make sure we've got the result we set out to achieve. Yeah. And so I know that if they spend a day with me, they'll leave. They'll run through walls. They'll be fired up. Okay, but I'd feel bad if they didn't execute. Yeah, see, I won't take anyone on. You don't have a conscience, though, do you? Yeah, <laughs> I won't take anyone on that I think won't execute at that level. They can go into my courses, they can go into my membership. If they want me one to one, they're already at the stage. And how many where one to one clients it. do you deal with? Barely any. Two a month, three a month. Okay. And then I do the old things like retreats, I get paid to speak. Those kind of things are the other ways that I make money. But mostly it's like, out of all the things, out of all the what you do, what do you enjoy doing the most? One to many, the program. Because I see the difference. Some people come into that without a business idea and they come out making a hell of a lot of money. Somebody came into it on this last one we did and I never tell people they can make money while they're in the course because I don't want them to think like that. I want them to think longer. But sometimes they do. And, and this person came in and she wanted to help people write books and she grew a tiny group of like 140 people and then she made 52,000 on her first launch. To her, that's like quite life-changing from where she was. Somebody else was a speaker coach, came in, needed to leave where she was living. She was living in a council estate that she didn't love. Um, I taught her exactly what to do. Within a year, she'd made 100 grand in profit. She's now on 200 grand okay. a few months later. That stuff I care about. Can we do a, a little bit of a case study thing? Oh, yeah. Okay, because there's a certain lady sitting over there. Where? Okay. So Alicia <laughs> yeah. is a spoken word poet. Okay. And also, obviously... What's a spoken word poet more than a written poet? You just say poems. You speak poetry on stage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, and she's very good. Okay. okay. Like she's very good. She's also one of these people that knows how to film stuff. Stuff. Yeah. And... A good example is that my eldest, Taylor, for Christmas wants a camera. Okay. And so I'm like, uh-huh, I will ask Alicia. What camera to get? And Alicia says, what is she going to use it for? And I went, I have no idea. <laughs> Taking pictures of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, no, I have no idea. Anyway, so Alicia's like, well, I better ask her some questions and then we'll come back with some information. Okay. But there's a ton of people out there that don't know what camera to buy. Yeah. There's a ton of people out there that need to know how to do this kind of stuff yeah, for their own. Yeah, many clients who teach people the basics of 
photography. I have one client from last year, this is a great case study, um, who wanted to help kids see the wonder in photographing nature and things. And he has this course called Cultivating Wonder. He put this course out there, made thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds from it. Now, all he knew at the beginning was, well, I'm a photographer. I know how to take photos of things. But you have to find your thing. It can't just be, I'm going to teach other people how to take photos. Go deeper than that. Why? What, what is in it for you? What is in it for them? And that's what he did. And that was an online course? It's still there children. now. Cultivating wonder, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. There's so many, there's so many niches out there. It's yes. like it's like me saying to my wife the other day, George Russell's driving Lewis Hamilton's car. My wife's like, "Who's George Russell?" Yeah, I'm like, the whole world knows George Russell for goodness' sake. He's a Formula One racing driver driving Lewis Hamilton's car. Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and she's like, uh, and then she's like, "Oh, so we've got this designer and this fashion house that are doing this and this and for you our gala day." But this is what I mean. You so only have to know your bit. Yeah. There are enough people in the world that will want to know your bit. Like, I have people putting out, exactly like I said before, if they know how to potty train kids or help kids with confidence, they're putting out a course or a membership in those kind of things and they're making money from it because there's so many people that want to know so many things. And it's just how you position something. And if ever, anyone has ever asked you, can I pick your brains? When someone asks, can I pick your brains? To me, that means, can you make me a thing I can buy? Do you, when you think about all of the people out there, are they Facebook focused or is LinkedIn groups as well relevant? They're all of them. Depends who you're targeting. For me, my whole world is on Facebook. But for some of my clients, it isn't. It's on Instagram. It's on But there's TikTok. groups on Instagram. No, but you, can, you don't have to have a group to do this. Oh, okay. Some people hate having groups, and I don't make them do it, because if you don't like doing something, you're just not going to do it well. I'd rather you did something else. So, for instance, some people just don't want to be on social media, and they just grow a list of people, and they nurture that list every week. So now you made all this money, okay? You made £3 million this year. That's $4 million. What are you going to do next? And what help do you need? <laughs> you are only asking me this because I talked to you last night about how I have no idea what to do with money. <laughs> Which I find quite funny. But when you come into money and you haven't really had it and an abundance of it, and yet it's very easy. We've seen everyone win the lottery, haven't we? Yeah. And they've all, they gone, they've all, they've it blown, all. blown it all. Yeah, That's what's in my head all the time. I'm like, okay, I've got this money. What, and I know deep down there's this thing in my head that says you should make your money work for you to make more money. Yeah. Like, I've always kind of known that. your money that. work as hard as you've worked for it yourself. Yeah. Which is all very well and good. But when you don't know the nuts and bolts of how or what you should do it. So I've done, like, the basics. I've bought a couple of properties. I've done the things that people tell you to do. I've done the ISAs. I've put a load into a pension. Don't be, like, doing that face at me. Don't stress me out with it. <laughs> but there's... <laughs> And then there's more money just sitting there. And you're like, I know I should be doing something with this, but I never know what. And people will tell you all these different things. You should be investing in other people's businesses who you just like. You should be investing in this and that and corporate bonds and gold. And, and I don't understand any of those things. And so I listen to people get scared and then do nothing. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do something for you after this. And I'm also going to... Um, we should probably... We should probably create some content around that. <laughs> we should. <laughs> and then, in a year's time, we'll come back and we'll see what my you know, money has done. No, what we, there's a few things about what we could do. It's like, right, 
you, you give me your money, I manage it for you. I tell you what to do with it, I manage it for you. I give you my thing and you do something with it. What's the thing? My online course. All right. Okay, and I say, right, there you go, there's the online course. Give me that, I'll do with this because I know that. You know that, okay. Yeah. I'll speak to you in six months. And we'll see what's happened with the It'd money. It'd be funny, wouldn't it? It would be quite funny. I could do loads with you in an online course. There's loads you could do. Just having that book means that there's loads you could do. Have you enjoyed chatting on the show? Yeah. I just like chatting generally. This has been a really fun conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I haven't okay. been different to my normal podcast. Just like drilling, drilling doesn't, me. Doesn't everyone say that? Every time we film something, every time we do a podcast, people are like, you, that's you're, you're good, asking. Though. That's because it's, I'm not trying to do it. I'm not trying to create content for a podcast. I'm trying to have a real conversation. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the time people appreciate that. Um, and the guests always do because we're having a real conversation. And what you find is you get real authenticity when they haven't got us to tell this kind of Cause structured Because it's structured. structured Even story. if you don't mean it to be structured. Yeah, In like your head pitch. it's already structured because that's what you talk about all the time. And on stages and on my TEDx, that's what they want me to talk about. So, yeah. Mm. It's nice to have a normal conversation about stuff. Okay. How do people find you? People find me on Instagram usually. At Lisa Johnson Coaching. At Lisa Johnson Coach. Not Johnston, Johnson Johnson. Coaching. That's where they find you on Instagram. And if they can't find you on Instagram, where else can they find you? Go to, well, if you want to know if you can make passive income, for instance, go to thecashcalculator.com. Got a little quiz there. I'll tell you whether you can or not. Thecashcalculator.com. So you're already on my show, not only sharing your story, you're now trying to plug my audience. Absolutely. I know what I'm doing. So everybody listening to this... (laughs) There you go. Lisa's put a, a shameless, shameless plug in. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show. It's Thanks been an absolute, absolute pleasure. And um, thank you to Nick Pigeon for, for suggesting and an email that I didn't read. Sorry, Nick, um, that you come and chat to me. You're, um, you're, you're really authentic and I really like that. Thank you for saying that because that's my biggest thing that I want to be. So there we have it. God, blooming hell. Authenticity kind of oozes out of the room as we sit here listening to what Lisa's had to say. You know, I, I want to find the truth. Um, I want to find the real stories. I want to find where people got it wrong. I want you to know where people have got it wrong and also where they've got it right. And in this awesome interview today, we learned so much, didn't we? Got it wrong. Married three times, that's getting it wrong a bit. Isn't it? I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But if you think about it, a lot of people would give up. A lot of people would find the route to mediocrity in their life. But Lisa didn't. And it was great to see that she could share that story with us. And you know what? I'm so happy that she's been able to go out and make what I would say from where I'm from, a bit of real coin. If you've enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and you listen to this on iTunes, on Spotify, SoundCloud. iTunes, I need a five-star rating. Go on. Make the effort, leave the five stars. Other people then can see this or listen to this podcast. And if you're not and you're on SoundCloud or Spotify, go and leave us a recommendation. They're all really appreciated. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world leading 
public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries. Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoyed these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon.